You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, no worries. I invite you to take that Black Pew Bible right in front of you. You can turn it to page 1013. You'll be able just to read along with us and uh, kind of see and read God's word for yourself. We want to be a church um, where every Sunday morning we open up and dig into God's word and see what God's word has to say about the issues of life. Not what myself or Pastor Mike or Pastor Dan has to say. We want to go directly to the source. And so we invite you to open up God's word with us this morning. So before moving to NEPA... I grew up in southern Jersey, outside of Philadelphia. So I love a good cheesesteak. I will stop at a Wawa any chance that I can. You guys know what Wawas are? Some of you guys are? All right, cool, yeah. Sheets, I know Sheets is right there. I'm not, they're fine too, but Wawa, love them way better. So I love the Philadelphia Eagles, and I tend to drive like a maniac, just from growing up outside of Philadelphia in New Jersey. So let me, if you've driven with me or around me, I apologize. Just going to put it out there. Uh, we were driving with some friends even a couple weeks ago, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I wonder how they think I'm driving, because like, it's not always the greatest. But let me just give you some of the unwritten rules of driving in New Jersey and Philadelphia. And if you guys are from that area, you can probably empathize with a lot of what I'm going to say. This is how I learned how to drive. Rule number one, tailgate everyone. Everyone, assume that their mirrors do not work and you have perfect brakes. You just make that assumption. Rule number two, blinkers are optional. Who needs them? You can drive without them and be fine. Rule number three, yeah, you're already getting, I know, I know, I'm terrible. Rule number three, stop signs are to be ruled through, not stopped at. This is just how you drive. And rule number four, do not go, I mean, rule number four, go with the flow of traffic not at the recommended speed posted. Because, hey, hey, if everyone else is going 85, if I don't go 85, they're going to run me over. And so I remember trying that with the police officer who pulled me over one time. Sir, everyone else is going fast. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. And so I came into married life with years of driving outside of Philadelphia and in southern Jersey. And the first five years or so of our marriage, after I almost killed us twice on our honeymoon, I was enrolled in the Melanie Lee School of Driving, where my wife retaught me how to drive. Um, she taught me that mirrors are a good thing, that blinkers are to declare what you're going to do, not what you're doing. And lastly, the three to five second rule isn't just for the food on your floor, it's for the cars around you. That's the distance you're supposed to take. And every so often, I still have to take a few mini courses here or there, but Melanie has done a good job of reteaching me how to drive. And so often, like my driving, someone else has to call us out from these learned behaviors that we just pick up from the culture around us. And really, throughout the whole entire book of James, James has been calling out his readers who look more like the world than they do Jesus throughout the entire book. This is, why, this is why I appreciate James so much. He's straight, he's to the point, and he calls us out when we look more like the world around us than the Jesus, the Savior that we're supposed to follow. 
Well, in our portion today, this portion is no different. And in, in James 5, 1 through 6, James is going to address an area where we are all susceptible to adopting the values of the world around us rather than what God's word has to say. Okay, we're going to talk about our finances. All right, I just want to do something off the very bat. Let's just say right out loud, this is going to be uncomfortable. Can we just say that out loud? This is going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me talking about it. It's uncomfortable, maybe uncomfortable for you listening to it. But let's get something straight. If we want our faith to make a tangible difference in the life, in the lives and the world around us, we are going to need to stop doing some things and relearn how we handle our money. And we need to adopt and submit to what God's word actually says about it. So yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. There are going to be times in, within our time together this morning where you're going to have to just take a deep breath. And God may be convicting your heart on certain things as, he's, as he convicted my heart as I prepared this. But there's something that we're going to come back to over and over again. It simply is this one statement. Is that faith invites God into our finances. Faith invites God into our finances. So church, if you say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, that invites God to have a say in how we handle our money. If we trust Jesus with our eternity, we should be able to trust Jesus with how we handle our wallets. So faith invites God into our finances. So I want to, even before we dig in, I just want to take a moment. We're going to pray one more time. And then we'll dig into what these seven verses, six, seven verses, has to say about, about our finances. So let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. God, many of us with an ungodly view of money, an ungodly view of riches and wealth. And God, we apologize for that. God, we live in a society, as we will see, God, who views money and wealth as God. And we do everything within our power to get it. God, we do everything with our power to get more of it. And God, we apologize for that. God, in our society, in our culture, that focuses so much on materialism and finding our satisfaction apart from you, God, in possessions and things. Lord, these verses are going to hurt. So God, I pray that I would just step out of the way today, that I would be humble, that I would be courageous, God, to and bold to speak, God, what your word says. But God, that your spirit would do the hard work of changing our hearts this morning. So we love you, God, and we look forward to what your word has to say. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So church, let's just dig right into it. In the first, first verse of this passage, James gives this warning to the wealthy. And he says this, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, we're off to a good start. So James calls the rich people, whoever they are at this moment, to weep and to howl, to act with deep remorse and regret. Some of you may be thinking here this morning, okay, you may read this and think, well, this isn't me. This isn't for me. I'm not rich. Uh, I'm not wealthy. Do you see what I drive? Do you see what I, what I, where I live? Do you see the clothes that I'm wearing today? This doesn't apply to me. But before we go any forward, I, go any further, 
I want to give you some perspective. That listen, if you make more than $25,000 a year, you are in the upper 2% of the entire world's population. 25 grand a year. That is living the poverty level here within the United States. But what we may think of as poor or needy, the 90% of the world views as rich, as wealthy. If you have a surplus of any kind after your immediate needs are met, you are someone's Bill Gates. If you have food and water and clothing and shelter, not just for today, but for, but for tomorrow, you're considered wealthy in the eyes of the world. Maybe not here in America, but in the overall population of the world, you are considered wealthy. So this portion is talking to us. But I also, I, wanna, I want you to notice something else here. See, I want you to notice that God isn't telling them to get rid of their wealth. See, there's this almost ungodly approach to wealth today. That people think, well, if you're wealthy, if you're rich, you are displeasing to God. And that you need to give everything away. That you need to, that you need to become poor. God never says that. See, actually, we see God throughout Scripture use wealthy people and rich people uh, for his glory. Think of people like Abraham, Job, even Joseph of Arimathea, the, the man who buried Jesus and put him in his own tomb. They were all wealthy people, but they still followed after God. See, wealth isn't the problem. See, it's our relationship with wealth where things get sticky. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So he isn't saying money is the root of evil. What, what is Paul saying here? The love of money is our relationship to wealth. That's where, that's where things get sticky. That's where, that's where we have to guard ourselves against. And this morning, God is guarding, warning us to guard our hearts against making gold into our God. And in verses 2 through 6, James is going to give us three perspectives on wealth that we need to guard our hearts against. And listen, as I walk through these perspectives, I am guilty of all of them. So I'm not here this morning saying, this is what you need to do with your wealth and excluding myself. Um, God has worked on my heart throughout this week as I have looked, as I have studied on what it means to have a faith where we invite God into our finances. So I just want to walk through these, these three perspectives. And I want to kind of give you what God calls us to instead. So in, in, every, in every one, I'm going to show you what the world tells us to do and what God calls us to do instead with our wealth. And the first thing that, the first perspective on wealth that the world is all about is found in verses 2 and 3. And that simply is this, that gather as much wealth as you can. Gather as much wealth as you can. See, the first worldly view of wealth that we must guard against is the idea that we need to gather as much, as many riches, possessions, and security as we can. We're told that we need to have a fully funded IRA, which I'm not against. You need to do that. We're told that you need to have a closet full of clothes. We're told that you need to have a, a spare car, an extra car, just in case one breaks down. And people will say, no, this is being fiscally responsible. This is, this is about providing for your future. And even scripture, Proverbs says what? It says, look at the ant who prepares for the winter, who stocks and stores up food. 
God isn't calling us here not to be responsible. You should plan for the future. You should have an emergency fund. You should be able to think about retirement. All those things are fine. But at what point does saving become hoarding? At what point do we put all of our trust and security in our possessions instead of listening and, and, and depending on our Heavenly Father to provide for us? And listen, you may think right now, well, Dave Ramsey doesn't say that. Listen, I love Dave. Me and Dave agree on probably 95% of everything. So I'm not, I, I follow his plan. But something that Dave does, if you follow his steps, is that the very last step is to give away generously. You save and you save and you save and you, you fill your retirement and you do this and you, and you do that so that at the end you can give it all away. I think God calls us to something different. God calls us to actually begin giving things away now and we, we will get to that in just a moment. But the worldly the first worldly perspective when it comes to wealth is I just need to get as much as I can. I need to fill my retirement. I need to fill up my bank account. But there's something that we need to understand about our wealth is that our wealth, gathering wealth, should not be our highest priority because, because it loses its value when we need it the most. Gathering wealth should not be the thing that we're solely focused on because, listen, there will be a time when we, it will lose all of its value and we have nothing left to it. Look. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. James is saying, James is bringing up to this moment, he says, listen, there's a time in your life where your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up for yourself treasure in the last days. James is pointing to a time in our lives where all of our possessions will lose their value. And I think he speaks in this prophetic tone, almost like this ghost of Christmas future from the Christmas carol. When he shows Ebenezer Scrooge, this is what the end of your life is going to look like. His church, James is talking to believers here. And James is talking that there will be a point in your life where none of your, none of your riches, none of your possessions, none of your plans on how you're going to use your wealth actually matter anymore. And I believe James is pointing toward the, the judgment seat of Christ where you and I will stand in front, of, in front of Jesus someday, and at that moment, he's not going to ask us, well, how much money did you have in your bank account? At that moment, he's not going to ask, well, well, how many years of retirement ha have you funded? He's not going to ask about the house that we lived in. He's not going to ask about the cars that, that, that are in our driveway. He's going to ask one question. How did you use your wealth to serve me and bless others? That's going to be the only question he's going to ask us. And that, at that moment, is the only question that matters. I remember probably about 10 years ago now, uh, Mel and I and her parents took a trip to Longwood Gardens. How many of you guys have been to Longwood Gardens before? Yeah, really nice place. It's cool. Kind of this love-hate thing. I probably won't go back ever again, but it was cool when we were there. But I remember walking through these gardens, and I remember... I remember walking through these gardens. I remember seeing these beautiful dwellings and this mansion of the DuPont family. And I remember standing next to Mel's dad. And he, like, kind of whispered it under his breath. He's like, all of this is going to burn someday. And I looked at him like, dude, you in, like, an arson? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what are you planning to do? But the more I think, he's super godly and a spiritual guy. And he's reminding himself of the spiritual truth 
that all of our possessions one day are going to lose their value and they're not going to matter. And so I'll say that every once in a while to myself. Keep it down so no one thinks it's going to harm anything, but it's a good reminder. All of this is going to burn someday. And the only thing that's going to matter is what we did with the wealth that we have. And while the world calls us to gather as much as we can, God calls, it, calls, calls us to use our wealth for his kingdom now. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus, Jesus gives us this picture of what wealth, what, what wealth should be used for. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we understand this, church, when we make the shift from gathering riches to, to giving it away, everything changes. You'll see God meet work like, like never before. You'll meet needs in a way in other people's lives that you never thought was possible. And you'll see God provide in ways in your life that you will never expect most of all, you will store up rewards in heaven that will never lose value. James is painting this picture. Like, are you going to gather things now, this wealth now, that is going to lose value and in the end doesn't matter? Or am I going to use the wealth, riches, possessions that God has given me to bless others and serve his kingdom? Because when we do that, we store up for ourselves rewards and riches in heaven that cannot be taken away. The late Jim Elliott, the missionary, um, says it so well. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Church, do not believe the lie that we are here to gather as much as we can and then just to lose it all in the end. And people may think we're foolish because we're, we're using our wealth now to serve others and to build God's kingdom. But man, in the end, this is all that matters. So let's be people, instead of gathering wealth, let's be people that give it away. Second perspective that James points out here is found in verse 4. It's simply put, take advantage to get ahead. See, James addresses another worldly view of money here. He speaks to, to the idea of doing whatever it takes to take advantage of people and opportunities to get ahead. So let's look at verse 4. And it says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Church, we used to have, when I was growing up, I was in my early 20s, I used to work at this kind of farm market um, led by Amish and Mennonite people from Lancaster in, in southern Jersey. And we would have these, this one guy would come in probably once every couple months and he would ask for change. We were saw at the time, we still had open cash registers, and so we could just grab change and do it that way. But what he would do is that he would kind of focus on probably one of some of our younger workers. I mean, you're talking about people that are 14, 15, 16, 16 years old. These are Mennonites. They work, they begin working when they're like six. And they're really hard workers. But what he would do is that they would, they would try to take advantage of, of these younger workers who maybe their math wasn't that great. So they come in with a $100 bill and ask for, for change in 20s. 
And then when that was done, they would, they would ask for change in tens or fives or ones. And what they were trying to do was to mess their math up so that they would end up getting more money and take, and take advantage of, of that person. I remember the guy did it a couple times, and we, we believe that he actually got money from us. Again, not the greatest system, but whatever. He tried one, one, one last time, and we actually got less money back, which was awesome. Like, I love that. The idea that the kid, whoever was helping him, messed up so bad that we actually took money from him that time. But all of us, in one way or another, we try, the, the world tells us that as long as we take advantage, we can take advantage of other people as long as we don't get caught. And James is saying in, in, in verse 4 here, he paints this picture of these wealthy landowners that were actually taking advantage of the people that were harvesting their fields. And what they would do is that these, these, these harvesters, a lot of them were poor, they lived day to day. And so literally, if they didn't get paid for the work that day, their family was missing out on food and water or some other essential necessities. And so what these wealthy landowners would do is that they would, they would not pay them either what they were supposed to pay them or they just wouldn't pay them at all. And so God is saying here, listen, you wealthy landowners, listen, one, I know, what, I see what you're doing. He's like, I hear, he literally says, the, the money that you kept in your pocket is crying out to God. And not only that, but the, these, these workers who are, who are now short, short cash, short payments, they're crying out to God as well, and God hears all of that. And you may think, well, I don't own a farm, or I don't own a business. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paying people, so this doesn't apply to me. Friends, let me just take you down a little stroll for a second. So as Christians, it isn't beyond us to take advantage of someone to get ahead. Let's put it out there. It's not beyond us. People do it. And this, and this is how. How many of us work to find loopholes or file inaccurate tax returns to get out of paying taxes? Don't raise your hand. How many of us has taken out a personal loan or borrowed money from someone with no intention of ever paying it back? How many of us has used, have used a service and not tipped appropriately because tipping was optional? See, just as God saw what was happening to the harvesters, he sees our financial dealings as well. In Proverbs 10.9, it says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. And Proverbs is saying, listen, if you're, if you, if you're taking advantage of other people, God sees. Not only does God see it, but God's going God's to find it out. And so instead of trying to take advantage to get ahead, God calls us to live with integrity, to make an honest living. God says, listen, work hard, be honest, have compassion upon others. He calls us to keep our word and be generous with those who work for us. Man, if you own a small business, like you should be known as someone who pays their people well. You should not be at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to compensation. Like, so instead of trying to cut back people's hours or not provide benefits to, to make your bottom line look better, let's be known as people who take care of those who work for us. Let's be known as loving and compassionate and honest with our money. When you borrow money, work hard to pay it back. 
If you borrow money from a friend, don't just think, well, they can pay me, I can pay them back whenever because we're friends. Don't do that. God calls us, listen, when you borrow money, pay it back right away. Work hard to pay back that money that you had borrowed from them. When you file your taxes, do it with honesty and integrity. Like, and if you haven't done the, those things, make it right today. I don't care if you have to go back and amend your taxes. Do it. Like, God is watching, and this is what God expects. He calls us to make an honest living, to, to deal with our finances with integrity. And if first two kind of worldly perspectives were not hard-hitting enough, James goes, on, goes in for the knockout punch here in verses 5 and 6, where James simply says the last thing that we need to guard against from our hearts is this idea to indulge and ignore. Verses, verses 5 and 6, James says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in, in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. All right, James, chill out. That one hurts a lot. This church, as we read those verses, these last two verses are some of the most graphic and heart-wrenching, I believe, in probably the whole book of James, but definitely this portion here. James paints a clear picture of American, of what it looks like to live in American society, does he not? Because we live in a culture that believes wealth is here for our pleasure and happiness. Like in every day, we're called to treat ourselves. If you're feeling bad, treat yourself. If you're having a bad day, treat yourself. If you want that new thing, treat yourself. It's the same thing, same mantra over and over and over again. And we, are, we, we believe the lie that our wealth is here to make us happy. And that we are to indulge in every, in every pleasure that, that we think would, would fill that void within our hearts. We've been told that we've been given riches to experience, indulge, and satisfy our desires while ignoring the needs of others. And I want you to understand this mindset when it comes to wealth, especially when it comes to ignoring other people. And James, James puts it really well here. Mindset number one is this idea again, wealth is for you, not for anyone else. God has, even if we, we Christianize and say, well, God gave that money to you. If God wanted them not to be in need, he would have gave it to them. And so wealth is for us, not for anyone else. But it goes even farther than that. You might want to pick that up. So this begins here. Not only do we think wealth is for ourselves, but we begin to think lower of the, of the people around us in need. That word that James uses is the word condemn. That word condemn, is not a, it's not used in a legal standpoint here. It literally means is unworthy for me to help. We have been trained to view other people in need as unworthy of our help. You may think, no, I don't do that. I haven't been trained that way. When was the last time when you, when you stopped at some kind of stoplight or intersection and someone's there on the corner asking for money and we lock the doors, roll, roll the windows up and look away? I'm guilty of that. When was the last time that I, I saw someone walking down my street in knowing that they're in need and I just closed my door? 
we have been trained to condemn and look down on the people in need around us. And James says not only do we condemn those people, not only do we look down upon them, but we murder them. Like, whoa, I haven't killed anyone. In the Jewish understanding of that word murder, it's not just taking life away from someone. It's keeping life, keeping, keeping the resources that would help their life away from them as well. So we murder not as an active thing about taking their life, but we murder them because we're not willing to give them, give them the resources that they need to make their lives better. And church, this is not how God has called us to live. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We become so individualized and we've been, our blinders are on to only our own needs, what's going on in our lives, that so often we ignore the needs of those around us. And Paul is saying here in Philippians that no, not only don't only think about yourselves, think about those people around you in need that could that you could help with the wealth that you've been given. See, our wealth is not a tool only to meet our own needs. God gives us our wealth to steward it so that we can meet the needs of others. God gives us the things that he's blessed us with so that we can be a blessing to someone else. So God calls us to be sensitive, sensitive to the needs of those around us. God calls us to be compassionate and generous when those opportunities come up. And simply put, God calls us to invite him into our finances. Church, I want to do one more thing before, before, we, before we, we close up our time together today. Some of you may be thinking, listen, this sounds really good. And I, and I agree with these statements, and I agree with what God wants me to do, but there is no way, based upon my current financial situation, there is no way that I can begin implementing these things. I want to give you three basic steps so that you can start being more generous with your life today. You guys ready for those? Would you guys want to hear a way that, hey, I can take steps today and how to becoming a more generous and sensitive person? All right. Step number one, create margin in your life. Create margin. And what I, what I mean by that is that all of us here, we have different backgrounds. We have different social, economic um, positioning. But I've learned that the first step to being generous with our money is to simply create margin. What I mean by that is, listen, if you make $40,000 a year, live like you make thirty-five. dollars If you make $100,000 a year, live like you make ninety-five. dollars Some of you here, God, God has already done this for you in a sense that you're used to living on pretty meager means before you finally get your first job or you graduate from college and then you have that first bump. And so say if you go from, you're making $20,000 working at, working at McDonald's or whatever it may be, and then you get your first job after college, and they bump you up to, to $60,000. Live like you're still working at McDonald's. Create margin in your life. What happens so often, whenever we get a raise, whenever we get a pay increase, what do we do? We max that thing out, right? We stretch our income to, the, to be as thin as possible. 
We, we use credit cards. We take out loans, whatever it may be. But we live paycheck to paycheck. Then instead of creating the margin we need so that we can be generous. So create margin. Don't spend everything that you bring in. Second thing, simply budget to be a blessing. Some of you are thinking, what's a budget? All right, you need to figure that out. Be, be an adult, make a budget, step number one. But within that budget, make a fund to be a blessing to someone else. Put that money to use to bless other people. And listen, for some of you, that budget may be $20, $20 a month. When you think, okay, I can, I, can, I can scrap this $20 out of my budget to give to someone else. And for that month, you have the adventure of saying, how can I use this money to help someone else out? And how can I spread it maybe so I, I, I help multiple people? But budget to be a blessing. If you don't put it in your budget, you know what? You're not going to do it. I know my heart. And at times in my life, where we haven't put this into our budget, it doesn't happen. Because I'm selfish. And I, I'm going I'm to find other ways to use that money. I will, I will go out and grab all the iced coffees in the world instead of being a blessing to someone else. We all do that. So budget to be a blessing. Put it actually in your budget. that I'm going to use this money to meet the needs of someone else. And lastly, simply put, invite God into your finances. Invite God in. And what I mean by that is that as we, get it, as we look at our finances, simply asking God the question, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do with the money that you've given to me? It's not mine. I didn't earn it. God, you've given it to me. You have blessed me with this money. How would you have me use it? Every time you, every time you, you get a raise... Every time you get a bonus, every time you get a gift, simply ask the question, God, how would you have me use it? And I'm not saying that you have to give it all away. I'm not saying that you can never go on a vacation that you, that, that you enjoy or to um, fix, get a better car or, or anything like that. But simply ask the question, God, how would you have me use this money? And the great thing about that is the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher. You cultivate a daily walk with God as you handle this tangible blessing that he has given to you. So when, when you go out to eat, and you see other people around you eating, ask the question, God, who would you want me to bless tonight? How, how can I cover their check? When you meet people that, that are in need, you ask God for wisdom, God, is this someone that you want me to help? It doesn't have to be just as you're looking over your finances. This can be an in-the-moment thing. But you invite God into your finances. And I'm telling you, as you do those things, your faith is going to make a tangible difference and impact on those people around you. They're going to see that you handle money differently. They're going to see that you are more generous with your resources instead of hoarding it all for yourself. And you know what they're going to see? They're going to see the gospel. Church, the good news of Jesus begins with what? That God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
And church, when, when, we, when the world sees us giving away our wealth, it is a tangible picture of what God did when he gave us his son. I can't think of a better tangible way to show people the good news of Jesus. So James has reminded us today that we need to guard our hearts against how we view wealth. That we should store up treasures in heaven instead of hoarding them on earth. That we should deal honestly with others instead of taking advantage to get ahead. And we should be sensitive and generous to meet the needs of those around us. So faith invites God into our finances. And when we do it, you will see God work like never before. And as I invite the praise team up as we finish out today, I just want to read one portion of scripture just over you folks as we, as we close our time together. The Apostle Paul, at the end of 1 Timothy 6, has this amazing call and charge for those who live in a wealthy culture and to those who struggle with the idea of, of trusting in our riches instead of trusting in God's provision. So I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to read these verses over you and pray over you folks before we sing one last time. The Apostle Paul says this. This isn't just his plea to the people in Timothy's church. This is, this is my desire for you as well. We love you. and We want God's best for you. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And there are, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Church, my desire for you, our desire for you, is that you would experience the abundant life that God has for you, when you allow your riches and your wealth to be used for his kingdom. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would use this message, Lord, this time, God, to work in our hearts. God, forgive us of our selfishness. Forgive us of our insensitivity to the needs of others. Forgive us, God, of, of not looking at the needs of others, not looking at how to build your kingdom instead of our own. Man, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our lives today. And not to just give money to the church, God, or anything like that. Lord, our desire today is that they would experience real life and not be, not be enslaved by the wealth that is all around us all, all the time. God, may you use the things that you've given to us so that we can be a blessing to others. And I pray that it begins today. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.